Ultra. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, after they recruited me in a comic book store, we're teaming up to take down the vampires plaguing Santa Carla. So, Scott, Nick, is The Lost Boys a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? It hasn't. They've tried. Have it. Multiple times. Uh, Rob Thomas, the uh, creator of iZombie and Veronica Mars, he's been trying to make a Lost Boys TV show for years oh he's shot two pilots and both of them were turned down by the cw wow but yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's in particular a bummer because uh, both veronica mars and the lost boys are like to me the epitome of like california edge noir cool you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's i think if i remember correctly his pitch was the first season would be in the 80s and then subsequent seasons would be in different decades to show like the lifespan of like this crew of lost boys mm. like throughout california yeah. history i That's guess a little it's more a like um, uh, cinemax than yeah. cw though I think ultimately that's why they passed. I, I believe that was the pitch on the first one, and they were like, this is going to be too expensive. We're not doing it. And so then he pitched a more traditional Lost Boys-like reboot, and then they passed on that because they were like, we can only take one thing from... It was I, it was like something where it was like it was produced by the same people that produced a different pilot, and they could only afford to take one of their pilots and not both. Uh, weird, like, network. Sure money financing stuff but weird. yeah and they ended up going with the other one um instead but uh yeah i mean this was supposed to premiere like the year after vampire diaries went off the oh, air that is weird yeah i mean i only learned that there were sequels to this movie when we were sitting down to watch it i don't know a, a few nights ago i don't know what you're talking about all right fair enough <laughs> <laughs> I will say within the the, the canon of uh, Lost Boys that uh, the shirtless buff guy who plays the saxophone, apparently mm-hmm. he still does that, and he's going to be playing near L.A. in November. Corey Feldman will be yeah. there. It's a thing. Yeah, he was like a he was the what what, what what band what band did he work for? He was the, he's the saxophonist for a band like a like a major like oh like a big like group. Cool. I was like, they're touring saxophonist or whatever. Um, and then just like they were in town. I think it was the thing where it was like they were in town playing a show in Santa Barbara. And Joel Schumacher was like, let's get this guy on set. <laughs> uh, his name is yeah. Tim Capello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what's your history with the Lost Boys? I have been a fan of this movie since I was a teenager. I remember renting it on physical Netflix back in the 2000s. That was what I first used Netflix for primarily when I got my first subscription is, oh, I can start watching all these cult movies that I can't find at my local video store. So that was like the first mm-hmm. time I watched Evil Dead 2, The Warriors, The Puffy Chair, like a lot of Mumblecore stuff. And um, another early movie that I watched that I'd always heard filmmakers, you know, Gen X filmmakers that I idolized and 
you know, movie nerds that were writing blogs at the time, they would always talk about the Lost Boys as this like seminal pop culture kind of classic. And I was also in my Kevin Smith era at the time. So yeah, I, I, I hunted this one down and I watched it. And I remember being really entranced by the vibes and the music, you know, to uh, um, I Still Believe, the sax song that, you know, like that's an all time <laughs> movie. Cry Little Sisters, an all time movie song for me. Yeah, I, I I haven't rewatched this one in a long time, so it's not like a favorite of mine, but I think it's a movie that leaves a lasting memory if you if you watch it at the right time. I think that's fair, Scott. What's uh, what's your backstory with the Lost Boys? Uh, my dad ha- had has I don't know if he still does, um, but he he had growing up a a real obsession with vampires. Read vampire books all the time, watch vampire movies all the time. And the thing about vampire stuff in general is like outside of like, you know, a lot of vampire movies will be like kind of sexy. And so there'll be like some nudity or whatever. But in general, like gore and violence is pretty limited in vampire stuff because it's like. They're 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 like, you know, the blood is going straight from your body into their body. So there's not like a lot of. Yeah, there, yeah. You, you can uh, go around a lot of the gore and everything. So I watched a ton of vampire movies with my dad growing up all the time. Stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen. And uh, and, and I, he took me to the theaters to see From Dust Till Dawn. and just <laughs> made me stand outside the theater during the strip club scene. How humiliating. Which you might say, isn't that the whole back half of the movie? Uh, you know, once they turned into vampires, he brought me back all in. All right, but, um, get back in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not sexy um, anymore all right i'm just imagining yeah, all right. being Tar- someone else in yeah. the theater just being like oh man that dad and kid are seeing the-. and then just like the cat dad escorts the child out and then like 15 minutes later the dad goes and escorts the child back in yes that's exactly what happened i was 11 years old that's amazing <laughs> that's a sketch in fact i might have been 10 i might have come out before my 11th birthday so yeah in any event, lots of vampire movies, and one of those was definitely The Lost Boys. And I really liked The Lost Boys as a kid because there were kids in it. You know, it was like my two favorite movies that he would show me was like Monster Squad and, and Lost Boys because there's there's people my age or close to my age in, in these movies. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked those. Yeah, so I had really fond memories of this, you know, and like, you know, just like uh, cinematically, historically to like vampires and stuff. It's like, oh, this is the this is the the movie that invented the way that the vampires look in Buffy. Like, this is what Whedon stole it from. And and he was like, yeah, like the brow and the, the demon face thing that comes from this movie, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I realized that at some point. In my like when I was in high school, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> um, it is weird that we but, didn't yeah. do the foot thing, though. The foot thing? Yeah, like they've got their weird vampire feet that can clamp onto the ceiling oh. so they can sleep upside down. Yeah, that is true. They don't have the yeah. He didn't do the weird vampire feet. That's probably too hard to do on a TV budget um, back then. Probably, but it delighted me. <laughs> yeah, it is delightful. That is true. Like, um, every like, time Buffy like, went to visit Angel, uh-uh. he's like hanging upside down in a corner. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of like vampire lore. That's like I I hadn't seen anywhere other than in this movie of just like oh they're bats they sleep For upside sure. down and I was just like oh, yeah. that's great and then yeah. they show the feet and I was like that's gross don't like it <laughs> yeah so and then there was a long period of time where I didn't watch this movie and then I watched it a few years ago and I was like there's a lot of this that I like 
But there's a lot of this that I feel like could be updated. And, you know, I like my favorite aspects of this are like the Frog Brothers and, and you know, the comic book store and the movie store. Like all of that stuff is a lot of fun. But uh, the... The actual Lost Boy stuff is a little too melodramatic for me. Um, I know this is probably sacrilege to a lot of people, but it's a little too <laughs> like it's a little too like '80s music video. It's a lot of like fog and a lot of like wispy curtains and just like it just very much looks like an '80s music video. Um, and you know that's what you get when you get Joel Schumacher, and you also get you know a a queer horror classic with this movie you know this is this is uh this is like a queer horror 101 movie um of like oh this came out in the height of the aids pep, uh, pandemic and that's what this whole movie is about is about the fear that people had of being gay and aids and blood and uh, fear like all of that is in here and um you know and it's directed by joel schumacher a a queer filmmaker himself so that is a big, big part of this legacy. And so I love all of that stuff. I love learning about that stuff. I love hearing queer readings of the film and, and finding out about all of that stuff. Hi- highly, highly recommend um, a, uh, a Shudder uh, documentary series uh, called uh, Queer for Fear, directed by uh, Brian Fuller. It's just an examination of like uh, queer horror. It's really phenomenal. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot to change and improve. I I think that people should be open to a remake of The Lost Boys because the thing about it is like this movie's not exactly timeless. Like it's pretty 80s. And so you could very much update this and uh make it a little more relevant without like harming anything about the um you know the history and 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 uh, uh you know importance of this film in culture. I think it's kind of like a perfect movie to remake because of that. So it's, it's so eighties. It's like, it's as eighties as like Top Gun. Um, it's like, it's so (laughs) eighties. And I think there's a lot of subtext in the movie as it exists that can be made into text. Sure. Text or, uh, or, or switched. I think you could, you could change because we're not in the middle of the AIDS, uh, epidemic anymore. You know, like we can do something else. That's, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, queer horror. Um, and, and, you know, maybe explore something else instead of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up Top Gun, Scott, because that's actually a movie I thought about earlier today. It it bears a lot, has a lot of a lot in common with the Lost Boys Mm -hmm. in that it is so moody in the way that, you know, like it is such a vibe and Mm -hmm. it is so cinema and is the decade and kind of encapsulates a sort of alt movement that was happening underground at the same time of Top Gun's much more like Top 40 radio, 4th of July Mm -hmm. barbecue vibes. But like Top Gun during Lost Boys, every time you actually sit down and watch it, you're like, oh, that's right. There is like a lot of this that just goes right out of my brain every time I watch this movie. I just, you think of the 40 minute version of Top Gun. Yep. Or Lost Boys. And you're like, oh, that's right. There's all this other stuff. (laughs) Yep. Yep. 100%. It is definitely one of those movies without a doubt. Fair. So. I didn't know there was a forty-minute version of Top Gun. Um, there, there isn't. What, what he's saying is like in your memory. Ah, got like it. Got you're it, remembering a forty-minute version of the movie because like all the memorable moments happen in like a forty, and then there's a bunch of like, you know, playing, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the 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 song three times in a row. Whereas you know? like Rocky, whereas like Rocky Four actually is just ninety minutes of iconic moments. <laughs> yes, that's true. Got it. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, so. cool. Uh, I'm so, curious, though. What was your thoughts seeing the movie for the first time, Sam? So that is the interesting thing is that this is the first time we've done the three of us on a podcast together where I've actually seen the movie we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And it's because it's probably the first one I've been able to see. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, I don't know if this is the sort of movie that would have appealed to me as a kid. I don't know if it's the sort of movie that I would necessarily go back to, but I enjoyed the viewing experience that I had watching this movie now. I thought it was fun. I thought there were a lot of lines that were enjoyable. And obviously, like, the the line that the movie ends on is such an all-time banger that it's like, how do you... How do you, like that that individual thing that moment is so goddamn good and it's amazing. That that line is is incredible because it's it's really funny, right? In the moment. Um it's like a really like fun funny line, but it's also like it's also like obviously like a commentary on queer culture and and like and like you know, the it's the one thing I couldn't stomach was all the vampires. I was like, well, you just swap out vampires with something else. And I've heard people say that before. And so that's obviously like there's something there. And I think it's stuff like that is why I think queer people really like hyper focus on this movie so much. Yeah. And then but you're right. The 80s of it all is very present. It is an exceptionally 80s movie. But like. The couple of friends that I watched this with, both former guests of the show, uh, Caitlin Rogers and, and Presley Peters, were both, like, fun group to watch it with. We all had fun. We, uh, we laughed. We cried. We had a lovely time. We, we watched some amazing saxophone on the beach. Fun times for all. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it just kind of felt like uh, like just another movie night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the the cultural, like, touchstone of this movie is so much larger than actually watching the movie, which is exactly That's what, what Nick true. was talking about with Top Gun. Um, yeah. I'm in complete agreement with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a good example, though, is a, a good double feature, especially heading into spooky season, would mm. be this movie and us. Mm. Both because, shot on the same. Um, yeah. yeah like Santa Barbara. Bo- so Santa, Santa Cruz Boardwalk. I only know that because I just Cruz, looked it up. Yeah. I don't want to pretend yeah. like I do that. And, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I always get I always get Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz mixed up in my head. You're right, and, it's Santa uh, Cruz. And in fact, there's even uh, a moment, like an Easter egg moment in us, where they're walking along the beach, and the mom or the dad say, like, "Hey, you know, ba- baby, do you want to go up? They're filming a movie up there. You want to watch them?" And Jordan Peele has said in interviews, "The movie they're filming is The Lost Boys." Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. so yeah. you know, Jordan Peele being like one of our living horror masters going out of his way to like put this cult Jill Schumacher vampire 80s movie in his mm-hmm. m- movie that kind of speaks to even though this is a flawed movie it still garners a lot of respect for people in the horror community yeah yeah that's Absolutely. true cool well we should probably do a quick walkthrough for people who aren't familiar with the movie i've only seen it for the first time so would either of you like to take us through what what happened nick please Okay, doing this from memory. I didn't take notes as I do on podcasts like Franchiseography. Plug. We open. Uh, we open on. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, actually, yes. Yeah. So the first note I took, listeners, in my mm-hmm. in my notes is so the movie starts with an aerial shot of the water that San, I guess Santa Cruz Bay. I don't know. I'm a bad Californian, but you know, heading into the the car, the, the boardwalk, and we hear "Cry, little sister." And the first note that I wrote down is Cry Little Sister Church's cover. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So that is how my remake of The Lost Boys would start, is Church's covering <laughs> Cry Little Sister. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. 
good. That's good. I like it. So we open on this boardwalk where these vampire hoodlums are. Well, we don't know that they're vampires yet. They just look like kind of really trashy late 80s California hood rats. These um, punks. These punks mm-hmm. with a really expensive wardrobe budget. <laughs> So they're like, you know, acting, acting a fool and being, uh, act, you know, cause it a commotion. And this cop or security guy is like, get out of here, you lost boys. And <laughs> later you see that the something, some force lifts this guy up into the air while he's getting to his car in the parking lot and kills him. Mm-hmm. And It's very like um, opening of Jaws. Yeah. Another California horror classic. Yeah. You know? Not California. Oh, East Coast. That's right. Yeah, that's East Coast. Yeah. Right. I also always think of that as being California, but I also know, but yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. The Telltale like is everyone's vineyard or something, right? Everyone talks like they're in a Stephen King novel. That's a Telltale sign. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Good indicator. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we meet the Emersons. Uh, there's the mom, played by Diane Weist. I do have her name, Lucy. The older brother, Michael Emerson. Played by not Jason. Michael Emerson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Mike, Michael Emerson, not played by Michael Emerson. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, Jason Patrick, right? Uh, yeah, eighties mm-hmm. heartthrob. And uh, Corey Haim, rest in peace, plays the younger brother and arguably the protagonist of this movie. Maybe Sam Emerson. I think it's like fifty-fifty Michael Sam. Yeah, uh, which we'll talk about if we want that to be the case in our remake. So they're moving into the. They're moving in with their grandpa. There's this joke where the grandpa's pretending to be dead on the ground. <laughs> that is, it was very strange. I completely forgot that that happened. But yes, oh mm-hmm. for sure. This guy's this guy's like a legendary like like movie grandpa, all like, time just, movie grandpa, uh, all, all time movie grandpa, without a he, doubt. He was great. I have no notes about him. He was exceptionally good. <laughs> yeah. No, um, dig him up. Have him play the role again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, possibly metaphorical homophobia aside. Mm-hmm great character yeah uh, yes 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 uh so well I, i'll get to that metaphor when we get to the end of the the movie but continue sure yeah. yeah so uh the emersons go to the uh the boardwalk to like just hang around and hang out and yeah they meet we meet uh also rest in peace the great edward herman from mm-hmm. gilmore girls playing the kind of goofy dorky adorkable guy that works at the video store um, uh, owns it, I think. Right? Owns it. That's true. He owns it. Yeah. And then, yeah, we we've referenced it a couple times already. But uh, Corey Haim uh, goes to the co- a comic book store that is seemingly owned by these two boys, <laughs> the Frog Brothers. <laughs> uh, one of, their parents are sleeping behind the counter. It's fine. One of which <laughs> is played by Corey Feldman, and I unfortunately don't have the other actor's name in front of me. He's like the know. Twenty-One Jump Street guy that isn't Johnny Depp. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> and as a kid, just to kind of take a step back, also kind of explaining my Kevin Smith phase, I just thought the coolest, if the second coolest thing you could do as a kid from watching movies is own an indie radio station or do a school radio station, the coolest thing you can do is own or work at a comic book store. That is true. So as a kid watching the Frog Brothers be like these two best friends that like owned their own comic book store and just worked at it and got to hang out all day. I was like, these are the coolest movie characters in the world. Yeah. (laughs) It's like how Lana Lang owned that uh, coffee shop in Smallville while while going to high school. (laughs) Yeah. 
Scott, I, we've never talked about the Lost Boys being an influence on Geek by Night, but mm. I think on a subconscious level, there are kind of Elliot Gibson parallels to the Frog Brothers. Yeah, uh, probably definitely subconscious because, like, yeah, by the time I had, well, by the time I started working on Geek by Night, I I was um, it'd probably been ten years since I'd watched the Lost Ooh, Boys, so it I'm, was I'm definitely spe- not on the forefront of my mind. I'm speculating now, but there's I'm guessing this is a Kevin Smith favorite. Probably. So yeah. they, it would be weird if it wasn't. So I would say <laughs> if I was doing my like Darwinian chart, it would be Frog Brothers, Dante Randall, Elliot Gibson. Yeah, that's probably more accurate. Yeah, for sure. So the Frog Brothers keep giving Corey Haim, Sam, comic books. And they're like, this right here, don't think of it as comic book. Think of it as a survival manual. And Sam's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a pretty good feldman honestly I mean, that's, that's that's yeah i, I, I was i was like oh yeah wow i'm, I'm there i'm in it's the like movie. he's in the room yeah, yeah. <laughs> scott it's me Corey feldman oh wow do you want to meet um, one of my angels oh man um wait Look, did you... i i don't cory feldman's one of my clients yeah. Um, oh. And, oh no yeah uh, yeah so it's no 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 but it's so i i'm used to hearing his voice yeah. All the time, and so it's just very weird that <laughs> <laughs> Nick's impression is really close. It's close. I would say it's closer to modern day Corey Feldman <laughs> than child Corey Feldman. Sure. But I mean, what oh, are you going to do? So, so um, this is so speaking of Corey Feldman's voice. Mm-hmm. When I was scrolling through Letterbox looking at reviews of this movie, multiple mm-hmm. people and like the highest rating review, right, rated reviews, all brought up Corey Feldman doing a deep adult voice while playing his character and how distracting mm. it was. Did mm. either of you notice that? Not at all. No. Yeah. I don't, I just reads like, that's something a teenage boy does. Like teenage boys do like, Hey, I'm going to, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I always, yeah. I mean, I definitely got the impression yeah. that they were trying to seem like tougher than they were, but that seemed yeah. like that was the character they were doing. For sure. Yeah. For hmm. sure. So that's weird. Yeah, that, weird that's... thing to hyper-focus on. Yeah. Uh, that's viewers. so yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah. So Diane Weist, Lucy, the mom, has a meet cute with Michael Michael Herman's character. His name is Max. His name is Max. 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 Thank you so much. I don't have the actor's name they played in front of me, but yeah, Max. So then Michael meets, or they go to that they go to that concert where they meet the saxophone yeah. guy. Yeah. And... Well, they don't meet the saxophone guy. They no, are entertained they like... by the saxophone guy. Yeah, it's great. And like I wondered. I, I don't think about this movie a lot, but this is such I, I, I could imagine a teenage Nick in Texas watching this being like, wow, California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. this must happen every night. <laughs> it's either this or the Beach Boys. Beach Boys uh, during the day, this at night. Like uh, so while they're there, and, you know, great turnout. There's a lot of kids out on the beach that night. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a so very while, well populated town for a town that is the murder capital of the world or whatever it is. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. And that's actually something that there's a moment that the brother, the Emerson brothers have with grandpa where they're like, is it true that there's like a lot of murders here? And the grandpa's like, let me put it this way. If they all came out of the ground, we'd have a population problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. So while at the concert, Michael sees a, a, a really a uh, cute girl named Star that's hanging out and goes over to flirt with her, but then realizes Star is a part of this, like, g- the group of hoodlums that we saw, led by Kiefer Sutherland, 
You got Alex Winter in there. There's a guy named Marco with a K. And then mm-hmm. there are two other people. And there are additional vampires. <laughs> uh, their most memorable scenes are their deaths. That's the only way I'm able to tell them apart. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and then there's the kid. The, the, the... Right, of course, the little kid. Well, we see the kid. Uh, do we meet the kid at this point, too? We must. I think so. I think he's there, but it, it just looks like he's like somebody's little brother that's like hanging around or something. Yeah. And yeah. so not to do like a full walkthrough of the movie, uh, Michael kind of falls in with these hoodlums, these vampire kids, learns that they're vampires and then becomes a vampire. After they make him, dr- after they make him drink blood. After mm-hmm. they make him drink blood, uh, we get the, the a very a very memorable scene is the Chinese food scene. Where he makes the rice turn into maggots and the, and the, the lo mein noodles turn into like worms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so while the part that of the movie that I kind of found the most thematically interesting or emotionally interesting this time was Sam, the younger brother, watching his brother slowly change and become more unrecognizable. It kind of reminded me of like when you have an older sibling, they go through puberty and they start mm. changing and their interests are changing and mm-hmm. they stop. And, you know, I think they go out of their way to make Sam still be into like comic books and vampires mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. childlike. Whereas mm-hmm. Michael is going out with these sexy vampires and doing bad stuff and getting into like, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like kind of scary. I, I imagine from Sam's point of view of like, why is my brother changing? I don't understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's also a reading of it that I've, I've read um, other like queer theorists like read into this, which is that um, Sam is gay, but is closeted and is afraid of coming out because he's like young and he's like got these mixed up feelings. But then he sees his brother going out and hanging out with these guys and just being out there and open. And it like freaks him out. Mm, that's and I, I was like, that's a really interesting like reading on that because it's an angle on like sort of a gay awakening story that you don't see a lot, which is like a sort of non-romantic version. It's more just like totally internal of it's like more about, yeah, the freedom and the, the, the sense of self that all the other vampires seem to have the unapologetic. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. But, but he's still like, he's afraid of it a little yeah. bit because he like I mean, feels it inside of himself, but it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, like um, that makes me think of like uh, the, the topic or the, the idea of passing in society. Where, like, mm. you know, the vampires are choosing to be like you. They are drawing attention. Mm-hmm. They want you to notice them. And mm-hmm. as a teenager, I was very much the opposite, where I very much went outside to try and blend in. And, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't want all eyes on me to be like, what's that kid wearing? You know, why is he wearing, <laughs> you know, eye makeup or, you know, finger, you know, nail polish, you know. And so the idea of, like, yeah, find, Sam finding that scary, but also a little bit, like, enticing or fascinating because he becomes obsessed with vampires you know yeah yeah for sure yeah for a kid who's at the, uh, says he isn't really into horror comics to go fully the other way and be like <laughs> i need to know everything mm-hmm. yeah my mom's got a day with a vampire yeah and then of course the frog brothers are like i mean you got to kill your brother like if i mean you'll yeah. kill your brother you'll feel better <laughs> just kill him it'll be fine <laughs> So, yeah, we have that scene where, like, they invite the Frog Brothers to the or, you know, they're having a family. They're going to Diane Weiss is going to bring Max over for dinner and then the Frog Brothers sabotage it with Sam because they're convinced that he's a vampire. I really I really like Diane Weiss's performance in this. I think she kind of just has 
just a really grounded single mom. Yeah. Yeah. Who you clearly like see because like, the the whole thing that they talk about in the movie like they make a joke is like mo- most women after a divorce uh, have some money and it's like she's completely broke she's like I didn't want to deal with getting any money from my ex I just wanted to get out of there get the kids out of there otherwise it'd, this whole dragged out thing mm-hmm. yeah which fair but like so you can like see that there's a little bit of pain and that she's also just like this is the first time I've been on a date with someone who's genuinely interested in me in so long just let me have this and they're like. They cut, and the, the kids are like, kind of, yeah, kind of, no. They don't know what to do. So Diane Weiss is so good at adding grounded, sort of, um, just like grounded, baseline, just sweetness to genre roles. Because she does, yeah. it's like, it's the same kind of role that she plays in Edward Scissorhands. I just, I, I, I love her so much. She's the best. Like, as Michael's transformation becomes more drastic... Diane Weiss' concern and kind of distress and, you know, her being like, what's happening to you? That's so grounded and real. And it kind of shakes things back into reality of like, oh, what does she think is happening to him? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a, the climax is pretty memorable where they finally just attack the vampires. We get Death by Stereo where a vampire, that has to, that's a band, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh, before even that, we have the them all team up they realize that david's got to be the head vampire and the frog brothers and michael and 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 sam all go to the vampire hideout because michael knows where it is to try to go kill the vampires and they 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 find the vampire coffin and it's just like a place where they're all sleeping upside down and michael rescues star and i think the little kid whose name i don't remember yeah because neither so that's the other thing not to take it back even further, is that they've drinking blood, and so they're half vampire, but they're not fully vampire because they have to feed on a living person in order to become full-blown vampire. They just yes. drink the vampire blood, and that's it. So they have vampire powers, but they're not going to like live forever or anything like that. But to stop the process, there's no stopping the process at this point. They would just be half vampires for a long time, presumably. <laughs> But uh, in order to stop the process, there's a hierarchy of the vampires where if you kill the vampire on top, all the head vampire, all the other vampires would turn back into humans. But they but they can't be full vampires in order for that to happen. So there was like, right, because there's no hope for like Alex Winter or, uh, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they say specifically that in that if they kill the head vampire, the half vampires go back to being human. Right. So that's why they're like, okay, now suddenly we need to kill everybody because uh, we don't want to be uh, half vampires. We don't want to be Well, Corey, the we don't Frog Brothers everybody. were encouraging vampire murder since the beginning. Like, they wanted right. to kill everybody from the start. And they kept, yeah. continue to threaten to want to kill Star and Michael. But they're like, yeah. all right, fine. We'll do it your way. We'll go after uh, this other group first. Right. And they do actually kill Alex Winters. They stake mm-hmm. him through the heart. And they, like, it, he screams real loud. They kill Alex Winters. And I was as surprised as anybody that it worked. <laughs> yeah they certainly were that it wasn't yeah. a, a movie about them accidentally killing a human kid <laughs> yeah well when you see him somewhat sleeping upside down hanging from your feet from the rafters it's like all right well i feel comfortable with this with this level of murder but we'll uh, see how it goes yeah so he's the one yeah. they murder underground and then that yeah. pisses off the other vampires yeah, David right. wakes up after that and tries to chase them down and kill them, but they make it outside into the sun, and which David can't go into because vampire. Right. And so then that leads them to like bunker in at the main household, and mm-hmm. then the climax happens where 
the three remaining vampires of David um, and the other two. Ooh, the right. vampires of David. That's a cool title. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you get the, you get the, this is my house. I have to defend it. Uh, of course. Yeah. You need it. <laughs> yeah, you had to have it. <laughs> so you have death by stereo. You have death by bathtub. Holy water bathtub. Holy water right. bathtub. Very, yeah. Vampire very traps. Yeah. And then. They, uh, they, they, ho- they vampire home alone their house. Yes, they yeah. do. <laughs> or vampire skyfall if you prefer. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Or vampire uh, straw sure. dogs if you're over the age of 50. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, great. And then, you know, you think all hope is lost. I really, I genuinely forgot about this moment. So it was kind of a fist bump moment when the grandpa comes and just drives through the house with the truck. Yeah, because what you find out is that they so they ki- right they kill Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So he, they he, successfully he, kill bathtub vampire. Yeah. They successfully kill stereo vampire. And then David and Michael have this big battle. They're going back and forth, back and forth. And then the, the grandpa had been a big taxidermist, and so there's like a room just full of dead animals. And Michael ends up managing to get David all the way back and like stabs him through with like uh, antelope antlers or something. Right. And he kills David, um, which kills him. But they don't yeah. stop being vampires, so they're like, wait a minute, we're not the lead vampire. And yeah. then Mac shows up, and it's like, it was me all along. <laughs> yeah, his whole plan was that he asked David to turn them into vampires because he had a thing for Diane Weist and was like, I want her to be my vampire queen, so turn her kids so that she has no choice but to uh, be turned by me, and then we'll all be together a happy family, etc., and they're like, "Cool, yeah, but we don't want to be vampires, so um, no, thank you." <laughs> stabby, stabby, uh, and then he he's going to kill. Like he he has both of them. He's going to kill them. Diane Weiss is going to give in, and then Grandpa drives through the house with his giant truck, and like mm-hmm. uh, Max gets impaled on like a giant like log that Grandpa had had in his truck. Yeah, this big moment. Yep. And then he goes to the fridge, pulls out one of his secret root beers from his special shelf, <laughs> and he says, uh, Santa, Car- Santa Carla would be a great down if it weren't for all the fucking vampires. Yeah. There's a great scene in retrospect when you go back and watch the movie again early on. The first time you meet Edward Herman at the video store, all the vampire gang bursts into the video store and they're causing a ruckus. And Edward Herman just stares them down and is like, what did I tell you about bringing your bullshit in here? And there's like a close-up on Kiefer Sutherland and a close-up on Edward Herman. And you think you're like, oh, that guy is lucky. But in retrospect, it's like, I told you assholes to fucking cool it, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. so Well, that's what made so me good. suspicious of him because, like, he basically says the same line that the security guard said to them earlier of, uh, I told you don't come in here or you're not mm-hmm. welcome here or something. And then he lives, but they don't. Or the other guy did. So I'm like, ah, oh, well, clearly something's up. Ooh. Yeah, that's true. That Good is point. that's very true, Sam. They like the cop. The cop says you are not welcome here. Like, yep, mm-hmm. we don't want your your kind here. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. They don't make it subtle. <laughs> like no. the queer reading of this movie is not subtle. It it's is not a not. subtle movie. No, and every I- time, every time, Kiefer Sutherland, like David and Michael, are like looking at each other. It's always in like a tight close up of where they're the only two people in the frame. Sure. There's that really great moment where he's thinking about Jamie Gertz, and then her visage like fades away, and then da- and then David's comes in bigger yeah. and more prominent. <laughs> You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing I wanted to mention is something Presley mentioned after we finished watching the movie is uh, one of the theories uh, that people have about this movie. Before I get to that, so on his special shelf, Grandpa. So when the, when the everyone moves into Grandpa's house, 
Yeah. He's like, all right, this is my fridge. The second shelf, that's my shelf. That's my root beer and my double stuffed Oreos. And it was at that moment that I realized that double stuffed Oreos were a lot older than I thought they were. Yeah. I think that every time I watch this, I always forget. So part of me is convinced that they tried making double stuff Oreos and it didn't take. And then 15 years later, they tried again and everyone was like, why would we do anything else? And Oreos just like, fuck, I guess now it works. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Because or, I, rem- I, I vaguely remember them introducing double stuff Oreos. There's I, a, I feel like I do too, but maybe it's a Mandela effect. I there's don't know. a, there's always the chance, Oreos. There's a chance yeah, that this is a custom right. job. Or he's double stuffing them himself and creating new double stuffed Oreos and keeping them like in a plastic bag in his fridge. It's all possible. We never see him eat any of them, so we don't know. Yeah. But the actual theory that people have is that because it's his special root beer. And uh, so there's a theory that grandpa is a vampire and the root beers that he's drinking are, are, are blood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's a fun cool. theory. Has, do Is he ever in sunlight? He is at the beginning of the movie. Like oh. he, like oh, we, but he's we under meet, the shed. We meet him outside, and then oh, he yeah. goes out on a, the date before sundown like with the with the widow, whatever. Okay. Well. So, but like, if he's like a half vampire, like Michael was, or something, That's but true. then I guess he's like because there's feeding, and then there's feeding because like Michael mm. could keep drinking the, the half wine or whatever it is. Yeah, that's true. But so hmm. that that's the theory behind it, right? I don't know. It, it's interesting. It's because he has a special shelf. And like, why do you already have a special shelf? But I guess he was ready for his family to move in. I know what they're going to do. They're going to go straight for my root beer. Yeah. These fucking those, kids. Those double filled Oreos are for grandpa. I've licked every single one. Can you remember where they were coming from originally, where they were moving from? I don't know if they said. I have no idea. I think it was like New Mexico. There's a part in the comic book. Oh, Phoenix. They're moving from Phoenix. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Because there's a part where uh, uh, he's meeting the Frog Brothers, Sam, and he's like, yeah, I used to live in Phoenix, but I'm stuck here in Santa Clara. I'm like, yeah, bullshit. Like, any any kids like, I used to have it all in Phoenix. Yeah. Now I I just have this dumb amusement park and uh, an amazing beach. Sexy 80s Southern California. (laughs) <laughs> what sort of Sam moves from Arizona to California? Whoa! Like, what? <laughs> Crazy. Art imitating life. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I had that conversation uh, after watching Romeo and Michelle. Oh, uh, yeah. Romeo and Michelle, it's... They go back to their high school, re- their 10-year high school reunion in Tucson, Arizona, after mm. having lived, like, make, going and living in L.A. for 10 years. I'm like, that's what I did. <laughs> I know where they are right now. That's well, about that's where mine was. This is my life. <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't get away with saying I invented post-its, but in retrospect, I'm pretty sure people did that at the 10-year high school reunion, and mm. I wish now I'd seen the movie so that I got the joke. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. You need to do that one eventually on, on the show. I think you already did. Oh, damn. I'll go back and listen to it. <laughs> I, I did. That's why I watched the movie. Yeah. Oh. I remember. I remember because I remember how you edited your face onto the poster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> It's around here somewhere. But yeah, that's the movie as it exists. So obviously we're going to make this movie way more gay. But other than that, what are we going to do for uh, for the Lost Boys? Okay, so I- I'm, going- I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that no one did this the way that I am going to pitch it real quick. Um, and then so I'm just going to pitch it and I'm going to step back and I'm just going to help you guys with your like more straightforward pitch. 
God forbid we do one of these episodes where we end up with two movies. Yeah, well, but I didn't. I also didn't cast mine for reasons because it would be like extreme difficulty uh, casting wise. Okay, fair enough. The original pitch for The Lost Boys before Joel Schumacher came in and said, I like this, but I think we need everybody to be super sexy <laughs> and like changed everything about it, brought in his own writer and everything. He the, the original pitch of this, the reason why it's called The Lost Boys is because everyone in this was 12. Oh. And so they were all kids. And and it was that it was what Nick was describing about like the brother being like you you're changing man like it was it was more like about that but I was just thinking like that mixed with like the fact that like nowadays like you know because there's so much more queer representation kids tend to like figure out that they're queer much earlier in life than than they used to and so like I just thought that there would be a really cool like queer reading of like coming of age and everything and having all of the lost boys be lost boys like this was a peter pan riff that's what this was originally the intention of it and instead you know what we get is is you know really fun and great but it's not exactly a peter pan riff basically they all look 30 so yeah that would be my pitch would be like if you were to remake it to do something really different and stand out um it would be to age everybody down to like 12 years old and have that be the story i think Um, here's what i think here's how i think you make that movie because i now understand why you were like this is a difficult movie to cast because like they would all be like 10 11 year old boys i'm not i i'm just i'm not casting like 12 12 year olds you know what i mean like going through like the kid in every show you've watched in the past year (laughs) yeah okay that kid that kid i was like i don't i i don't want to make this episode a full-time job so I, I the, mean, yeah, it'd be a real shame <laughs> if someone like really tainted their uh, their their search history by googling Hollywood children. <laughs> so the version of that movie that I'm conjuring up, listening to you, Scott, is like Luca Guadagino, like casting a bunch of unknowns who have never even been in a movie before, and it's like Beasts of the Southern Wild meets meets Bones and all. But buddy, I'm I'm not gonna lie. You literally just named my director. Holy like, shit! On my, oh. on my thing, that is who I had. So we are on exactly the same wavelength. Like I know you so completely well. simpatico. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's great. One thousand percent. Yeah, like an A twenty four Lost Boys. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what I'm picturing. Like like a, like a twenty like yeah like uh like a Call Me by Your Name age down obviously uh but like mix that with. What am I thinking? Uh, uh, let the right one in, you know? Yeah. Like mm. that. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like, um, yeah. The creepiness of like yeah. Kirsten Dunst in an interview with the vampire. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So anyway, it's cool. And I like that pitch, but like, that's not fun to do on the show because I, I literally, I just, I just, I refuse so, to cast all of those children. <laughs> would you have like Sam and Michael be like twins and like one of them is like still the twin doing comic books and stuff and one of them is like being slightly more adult but they are the same age yeah that's what i was picturing yeah okay that makes sense and it's like it literally just two kids that are that have been the same their whole lives and all of a sudden one of them still wants to cling on to childhood the other one is willing to embrace uh adulthood right you know what'd be cool is like if they like adopt a new member and it's like wendy like a wendy proxy and it's mm-hmm. like they've never had a girl before. And again, it's not romantic, but just having that outside force kind of be like the inciting incident that kind of makes the the, the dynamics start to shift, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think makes more sense with the kid version of this because like 
you're not going to get like a 12 year old to into your crew by using like a girl as a lure at 12 no. years old, you know? Mm-hmm. So not necessarily, no, you, not necessarily. Right. So it's, 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 uh, yeah, I think it would need to be an intre- a, a different dynamic, which I think, um, making one of them a girl, I think would be probably the way to go. Like the a, way that like a Wendy, sister. Wendy sort I of mean, crashes my... into Neverland. They're like, what the fuck? We don't want you here. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, in my version, I kind of like I cast them both separately, but in my head, I kind of had the idea of like we're past the subtlety of the 80s and when I I really meant it when I said taking the subtext and making it text and just like I don't see there's for there to be a reason for Star and David to necessarily be separate people. Mm, like mm-hmm. I think right. that Michael can be drawn to the David character. Yeah. In the same way that he was drawn to the Star character and just like, "Oh my god," but like and like this David character still doing all these crazy things, but there's still just something so alluring about this guy. Yeah, totally. And totally. I, ha- I, I don't necessarily have them both being like kids. I had like my Michael being around like 20 years old and my David being like 28 in a little mm. bit. Call me by your name, but like not as deeply creepy. Right. But, like, uh, like, but like that little bit of the age gap of like just full confidence versus someone who hasn't figured out confidence yet. Right, right, right. Sure. Uh, I also, with the exception of my gr- adults, no, none of my actors are older than. I don't think there's anyone thirty. I think everyone is in their twenties or younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. same. Nice. Uh, definitely, me too. Um, I also, uh, so one of the things that I kind of played around with was just the nature of family. And so for my Michael, I cast a black guy, but for my Sam, I cast a white kid. And because I really wanted to lean on the fact of like, like, they're like, well, just kill your brother. Just kill your brother. Just kill him. And it's like, no, no, no. He's my brother. And like the, like the whole whatever, like there was the adopted child and then there's the, uh, I don't know, biological child, whatever it's called. And yeah. like, it doesn't matter. They're brothers. And I right. really wanted to, to keep hammering, hitting that home of like, like he keeps saying he's my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. Right. And like I wanted, like like I wanted it to be a little bit of a mixed family to really also like drive home the point of like Michael's also figuring out who he is, like both within the family and without of it. Without mm-hmm. of it, that's mm-hmm. a sentence. That's how that uh, turn of phrase works. <laughs> You're just a writer. No big deal. Yeah, um, they, no one will judge me. <laughs> You're a writer, not a talker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't normally I need two, three drafts to get any sentence to work. What were your grand sort of uh, narrative designs, uh, Nick? Um, I'm really, I think we're complimenting each other really well because unlike you, Scott, I literally was like, oh, I don't have a, you know, Margot Robbie as Freddy Krueger reinvention in my pocket this time, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like a a bold take on this thing. So I kind of just relied on like a kick-ass cast and Mm. I'm really proud of my writer director and also like, I'll be honest. I don't want to. I don't think I the the Michael David Jason Patrick Kiefer Sutherland vibes didn't hit me that much watching it because I just don't think I found those characters very interesting. <laughs> That's yeah so, for sure. So, so <laughs> I you know whereas Too Fast Too Furious you know you're like oh my god Tyrese and Paul Walker fucked before this movie like you can't. <laughs> so like for example I did cast a star. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just, <laughs> just because, like, yeah, I wasn't as like focused on Michael and David this watch through, for mm. whatever reason. But I'm loving hearing all of this, uh, this work being done after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree mean, with you. They're pretty. 
and I feel mm-hmm. like that's basically it. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland has presence, but sure. I wouldn't say he's particularly charismatic in this movie, at least not in my estimation. Um, I mean, when we were watching the movie, we couldn't get past Michael's jawline to pay attention to anything he was saying, well, but he also didn't say that much. Yeah. Uh, and then for Keith or, Kiefer Sutherland's David, it's just like he he's he's doing all of his acting with his eyes. So again, whatever he's saying doesn't really matter. Hey, he's true. saying it with his eyes and with like extreme closeness. Yes. <laughs> Have you noticed the rice and maggots, Michael? Oh, man. Yeah. He sounds like a therapist most of the time <laughs> in this movie. Very relaxed, very calm. So yeah. It's interesting because one of the other movies I did this season was Dark City, which is another Kiefer Sutherland where he's playing like kind of a, a creepy weirdo, but a very yeah. different kind of creepy weirdo. But mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Some, kind of the same era of movies. Uh, like 10 years apart, but yeah. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I guess Dark City's 90s. I still think of it as 80s, but it's definitely 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. like, it's you're like, right, you're I right, think, you're right. Uh, and this is like 97, 87, I think. Yeah, yeah, this is it. 87 and that's 97 so it's like it's literally yeah. like 10 years apart that is 10 years yeah apart. I, I dark city just feels very 80s to me but yes you're correct <laughs> sure. they're 10 years apart but even still yeah. he's playing like weird creepy Kiefer sutherland just very different kinds yeah that was kind of his type um, before jack bauer that's true and he was really, like a little bit more of like a character guy and that yeah. really reinvented him kind of in like in a liam neeson sort of way yeah, and in the '80s, he played this guy because he yeah. he basically plays the exact same character in Stand by Me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Just I mean, not a we, vampire. <laughs> we can't all be Liam Neeson in Dark Man. That's true. Who, no, no one else can. Um, nope. <laughs> have you done Dark Man and Stand by Me, Sam? I've done Dark Man. I've never seen Stand by Me. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Same problem. You have to just Google a bunch of young actors. Yeah. yeah, which I definitely did. You're going to get a whole list of children, and uh, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure I'm sure the authorities already have that list for me as well. Yeah, I you know the thing about this movie is like I don't think that there's anything about the plot that is like broken or anything. It's more to me about like filling in that period of time that is like filled up with '80s like montages and music video. Yeah sequences with like more story and more stuff so like what is in this movie that i feel like you like that you feel like could there could be more of um that you could you could remove those music video sequences and well, put in like more like character stuff and plot stuff before we even answer that question nick when do you want to set your movie oh yeah oh that's a very good question i'm kind of i'm kind of more prone to set it in the present because as am i one thing I've kind of learned this year from other movies that are coming out is you can have something with the vibes of a time period without setting it in that time period. Mm-hmm. Are you specifically uh, referencing bottoms bottoms as well as like a lot of horror movies are sort of, yeah. we like, we don't have to set this in the eighties and we can still have like these sort of eighties vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The Happy death day movies, you know? Uh huh. I certainly think setting this modern day, right? Like there's that there's that slight complication, which is that like parents don't let their kids just like roam free like they used to. But I think that that's something that you can sort of play around with, with the fact that like Sam listens to their parents and and doesn't like just do whatever he wants. Um, And maybe you make their mom like a little more overprotective, a little bit more of a helicopter mom. And the fact is that like, Michael is breaking out every night, you know, like he's waiting for like mom to go to sleep and he sneaks out the window and like goes to hang out with them that way rather than being so out in the open about it so that it's really like, oh, I'm I'm 
you know, Sam is like stuck having to like cover for his brother and like has the same is holding the same secret that his brother is keeping because he's like, no, but like, I'm, I'm a good kid. And I thought we were both good kids, but now you're not. And like, yeah, you know, yeah. So I think I think there's a way around it of like he's seeing the allure of like these kids that have no parents and are like free to go do whatever they want. I, I think there's actually a couple different ways you can play that. I think there's the the really modern take of it, like, like this mom has grew up with the kids in Phoenix, which is a big a big city, and there's a lot of people there. And Eve, she could have had these two kids, but they're both their cell phones have like find my friends turned on, and she mm-hmm. had access, and she could see where they were at all times. And then all of a sudden, they move back to the small town the mom grew up in, and she's like, I know every inch of this town. I trust you. Like you can walk everywhere. And all yeah. of a sudden, she a all of a sudden, like, that tension of being in a big city goes away because not only is she familiar with it, it's small and she trusts it. And yeah. Like, no matter what. And you get to have this thing of, like, finally when she goes to check her phone to the, see, like, where her kids are, Michael has, like, she sees where Sam is, but she sees that Michael's uh, Find My Friends is turned off and she has no idea where he is. And that's when she starts to get nervous. Yeah. Or he just leaves it in his room. Yeah. Because he doesn't need his phone. That's also true. To hang out with vampires. That's also true. <laughs> I don't think vampires are checking Twitter. Um, well, nobody is because it's not called Twitter anymore. But um, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> An aspect that I could use more of that I think could be fun is kind of the w- another movie that I rewatched recently, kind of from this a little bit later, is The Craft, which is about mm. a group of witches. And Similar. Very that's similar. Very similar. It's uh, Yeah. you could, That's a great double feature, actually. Lost, oh, Lost sure. Boys and The Craft. Yeah, and that's a killer double feature. I think the reason a lot of kids found like this was a movie that they rewatched over and over again is the aspect of the friend group or the found family. Mm-hmm. Like the Lost Boys don't have parents; they don't go home. They just hang out in this shitty squalor hideout, eating Chinese food and like making each other laugh and punching each other in the dick. And like when you're <laughs> 15 to 17 that is like paradise that's like all you want to do ever yeah and that's true and i guess following you know the craft also has like us was a strong like awakening movie for like a generation of like queer horror nerds or like witch adjacent people and the concept of i'm not getting home i'm not getting love or acceptance or feeling seen by my nuclear family i'm going to run off and find it with these really cool friends that I'll spend yeah. all my all my time with and can tell them all my secrets and we'll cry on each other's shoulders and it's so emotional and I think it'd be cool to have the Lost Boys feel more like a crew than they do in in the, in the Joel Schumacher version. Yeah, because it seems like the thing that he's attracted to is just the fact that they're so cool and so attractive. Like, that's yeah. it, you know? Like, yeah. they, they, there's they don't have, like, a lot of chemistry with each other. So, yeah, having, like, a really strong dynamic i think and, and he fits right in and they love him yeah um, i also, think would that was be something really that bothered cool. me about the original movie is that like he he's really drawn to star and he goes after star and then she gets on the motorcycle and drives away and then he finally finds star again and like he thinks they're having a moment in connection and then david shows up star gets on the bike and just like david just tells michael to follow them and he's just like uh i guess okay and so I never really, I never understood the connection other than the fact that he like felt weirdly possessive of Star. Mm-hmm. And so I think exactly what you're saying of, 
I feel like he should be drawn to the camaraderie and the community of this really tight group of cool people. And then once he's in there and he's like within that circle, then all of a sudden he starts act. He starts getting drawn to the. I'm going to just call it the Star of David character because I've combined them. Uh, the real Star of David, uh, the, the, the the David character. He gets drawn to the David character. Uh, yes. And w- w- once he's within, first it's about the community itself. Then it's about the actual personal connection in the relationship. Yeah, it'd be cool if there was like a moment early on, especially if you're if you're merging the two characters. If there's a moment early on where he like he sees them and is like, oh man, those guys are cool. They like remind me of like my crew back home. And then something happens where they like goof off or whatever. And then like a store owner is like, hey, you fucking assholes, get the hell out of here. And then he like steps in is like, whoa, they weren't doing anything. And like, like is the only person who defends them. Whereas like everyone else is telling them to get the hell out of there. And to them, they're like, oh, here we go. This guy doesn't know who we are or what we are. <laughs> Great. And so he, he, they're, they're like, they're attracted to that. But like also, but from from Star David's version, like or from his point yeah. of view, they, they he's seeing it as like, oh, they like me because I like defended them, like when when you know this guy was like you know telling them to fuck off. I think having some kind of moment like that would be really cool, where he's like, I'm doing the right thing, and it's like, dude, these guys are murdering vampires. You're not doing <laughs> the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Nick, what kind of like set pieces and things were were you looking forward to? Because like we have saxophone uh player on the beach but like what what is the what is the cool thing happening in santa carla right now oh i would love for saxophone man to make an appearance in this <laughs> <laughs> or you know because like, i guess the only like action set piece we have is at the very end where they like home alone their house and you know death by stereo death by bathtub and all that right and so yeah i, I think my art you know with our characters being aged up and also just like teens being a little bit more dangerous than they were in the 80s like oh i i didn't age up my characters or sure um i, I guess I he means from mine i think i think oh got it right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i guess i just mean like you know the stranger things i don't want to see dustin from stranger things cocking a shotgun oh so, yeah sure, sure. sure so sure, like sure. An example of casting actors that are a bit more like visually older. I'm thinking about like the Fright Night remake where you had Anton Yelchin playing a high schooler. Right. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Scott. For Sam uh, and the Frog Brothers, though, I kept, I kept them young. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you have any set pieces, Sam? I don't know. It's tough because, like, again, it's it's the beach and it's now. And so I feel like what you like the thing that a lot of people do for the beach is just like a cool bonfire on the beach and just everybody's like the all the young kids are just kind of like on their own no supervision like the like they have the bonfire and just like kind of all partying around which happens in this movie but then all those people get killed by the lost boys Mm -hmm. and i like you could even have that be our version of the start of the movie instead of starting on a, a carousel you start with the bonfire of the beach and it's all these cool uh, young people hanging out and laughing. You think, oh, these are going to be our main characters. And then they just get massacred. And then we cut to our Sam and Michael moving to Santa Carla, the murder capital of the world. Cool. One fun sequence that I would like is, uh, I don't know what the context of this is exactly, but they are, they have a, like, in a, you know, they have like this amusement uh, boardwalk thing. Mm-hmm. I think that it is a huge missed opportunity to not have a sequence where they go, they all 
go into a hall of mirrors together to fuck with David because he they know that he that he won't be able to see them in there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and fuck so with they David all, or to fuck with Michael. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, to fuck with Michael and and that's like, very funny. And they all go in there and instantly disappear in the hall of mirrors. And then he's like, "What? How the hell did they?" I'm right here. <laughs> um, and that's... they're just like coming out and jumping at him and stuff like that, just to fuck with him. But so one of the things that happened in this movie that we didn't really touch on, but I think is interesting, is they're when they're trying to capture Max and prove that he's the head vampire and fail, and they think he's not. They feed him garlic and he eats it, and he's like, mm, I, "I love garlic." And they also hold up a mirror, and his reflection is apparent in the mirror. Uh-huh. And they ask him later, like, we did all these things to you. How did that work? And he's like, you invited me to your home. That mm-hmm. I now have complete power over this, and you, you have no power over me whatsoever. I'm invited in. Yeah. You can have them be, like, within a space that they have total dominion over. They, they can fluctuate within the realm and the confines of the expected rules of their mm. powers. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting. You don't uh, see that pop up a lot where just admitting a vampire in waves all of their other consequences or causes. Yeah, they're effects. like giveaways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, because there's the old joke of like the, the whole idea behind welcome mats are an, a vampire invention because they can go up to any house that there's a welcome mat and the wel- mat is welcoming them inside so they can go inside. Mm-hmm. It, it's an old yeah. joke but like or it's an old viral tweet or something but like i've always thought that that was interesting but an like, old an old wives tweet <laughs> but like max specifically says oh you're the man of the house am i invited in yeah of course you're invited in yeah. great he turns it into a charming bit of like i'm not coming in until the man of the house says that i can you know and yeah yeah but you don't know that it's yeah it's good it's a See? good it's a good I mean, villainous the, turn all you gotta do grandpa's is... the man of the house but whatever all you got to do is invite him to the beach, and then he's fine with the sun too. So you know, someone please uh, invite me. To, I have a <laughs> hack. Just invite me to the uh, to a day on the beach. I have a vampire well, hack. I'm trying to test out. You gotta really, <laughs> I mean, you got you got to make sure Michael gets a job as a lifeguard because that's who the true man of the beach is. That's true. <laughs> Are you the man of the beach? It's <laughs> <laughs> very Ken coded. Yes, I am Ken. Thank you for asking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like basically. We still want to have the family showing up. Uh, Michael, in particular, is drawn into this particularly cool, super queer, comfortable, older kids environment. Sam is still trying to figure out what's going on with his own life and his own connections with his family. The, the movie kind of carries on in the same way. But as Scott says, we need to fill it in with more not montages. So, like, mm-hmm. do we still want Michael to, like, we can replace the, the hanging on to the railing underneath a train with the, with the Hall of Mirrors, but what else do we need? Like, how else do they play around with, A, their own sexuality, potentially, and then, B, just the, the world that's been given to them? I mean, yeah. the, it, could just, it, it, it could be as easy as them going to a thrift store, like a late-night thrift store, and just doing a ver- all the different varieties of wardrobes because yeah. like we've talked about the mm-hmm. gay allegory but there also could very easily be a trans allegory in this movie mm-hmm. as well and in fact there probably should be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or like uh you know just more uh, going back to the craft just more going into like who are these vampires like what does star like to do for fun who was star before she was bit marco yeah. what do they have going on just like, you know, for there to for I'm thinking about it's also very like Mean Girls or I mean, tons of YA narratives where you have the new kid 
it's almost like an RPG dropped into a friend group where they get to come around and be like, Oh, I really like Marco, but he doesn't know. Like I we're mad. We had a fight. And then like Michael gets to be the one to like bring everyone together and be mm. like just the best vampire boy. Um, yeah. So I'd be, yeah, it's thr- not very Paragon. Thrifting <laughs> is fun. Uh, I really like, even if it's not the bridge thing, them sort of taking advantage of like, it's very punk rock middle finger of like, we can't die. So like, you know, maybe jumping in front of a train right before it hits you, you know? Well, or what's like, the modern equivalent of that? I mean, we still have trains. We can still do that. We do. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could absolutely be, I mean, yeah, they could absolutely be playing in traffic. They absolutely could be playing with the heights of it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, I think... they can go bungee jumping and they can cut their own cord. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, um, um, taking the Ferris wheel up to the top and jumping out of it. Yeah, you know, cool. you mentioned, uh, and I'm not trying to like counter you, but uh, you mentioned like, oh well, why would why would Michael bring his phone? You know, van, you know, they're not checking social media, but yeah. what if they were? Mm. And they were like, you know what, the Earth's got like a hundred years left, so like we're like this new generation of vampires that kind of doesn't give a shit if people find out about us because we'll just kill them. And like half the people don't like we we do share stuff on TikTok and we're like we have a following, but everyone thinks it's fake anyway, so like it doesn't matter. Like oh, that's fun. I like that. Our ancestors were so aggro about it, but it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. It's just like hashtag new vamp. Yeah, all um, of that is an update. My additional set piece is like they we we see constant shots of the roller coaster. Let's have them get in the roller coaster most of them and then david just sets a skateboard on the back sets on the skateboard and holds onto the back of the roller coaster and then the roller coaster goes and he's like holding onto the back of the roller coaster and doing everything kind of like by hand mm, and then he has oh. suggests michael do the same thing and michael's like what the fuck absolutely not are you insane yeah. maybe maybe i am insane or maybe the world's <laughs> insane or like if <laughs> uh you know the difference between michael and david is like david's been a vampire longer so his respect for life has dwindled a lot. Like a human life is very valuable to him. So like Mm -hmm. the idea of like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if like this carousel went off the edges or like if this bus blew up or just all these, wouldn't that be funny? Kind of edgelord humor. But like Mm -hmm. Michael's like, that's not funny, dude. Like you could have killed someone and he like stops it. And it's almost like a little bit of a superhero moment kind of playing with Mm -hmm. vampires having strength and speed powers. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And, you could even have like them one pushing the car, one pulling the car back, push, pull, push, pull, and they get closer and closer and closer, and then they just start making out, and the car's fine. Yeah, yeah. I also, right. I, I definitely want like another like feeding scene, like in this one, um, that is like very like yeah allegorical <laughs> that was happening in this where they attack that group, those group of guys. Well, one of the amazing things that you can do is you can like in the same way that we had the bonfire on the beach earlier, you can have a movie night on the beach and they could absolutely be watching Nosferatu or mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead at any time. Like, and they can, they, uh, our version of a drinking game is anytime someone dies in the movie, we get to kill someone. Mm. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And that's so fun. like, uh, like, and so, and so their game is to match the person's scream with the scream in the movie. So everyone who's watching thinks it's like kind of a, a stereophonic like experience. Oh, I like. And, yeah, that's good. That is good. And, 
And that's, that's how they fun. gamify it. And then all of a sudden they take it too far. And then there's just more screaming. And people are like, this fucking sound is, what the hell's going on with it? They're, they're, they're playing the wrong part of the sound uh, for this movie. Yeah. And, and then people yeah. get up frustrated and leave. And then when the lights come on, we find that there's just blood everywhere. That's good. Does that work? I like the game for sure. Or even like, and that kind of has like, I think about the metaphor of going off and like finding yourself sexually and yeah. figuring out, like, I think I'm interested in this. I want to explore this. And then finding out, like, oh, some people are into that, and I'm not. And <laughs> there are limits in you. And it's not a monolith where, like, you 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 go out and you find out, like, okay, I don't like this. And our version of that is like, you know, Michael is disturbed by, you know, loss of, you know, this kind of like more macabre extreme. But they've been vampires so much longer that, you know, right, right. they've reached mm-hmm. this point where they we don't we don't care about that anymore, Michael. Like, right. Right. I mean, that is something they talk about in like what we do in the shadows of like uh, Matt Barry just being like, you live long enough, you're going to try everything once. Uh-huh. Sure. And then you're going to forget about it and you're going to try it again. Yeah. Um. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, and then I feel like the one last thing we really should talk about before we get into casting is kind of our, our, our final showpiece of like the big Home Alone house at the end. Like we can certainly have the kids stealing holy water again. It was. I mean, honestly, all of the same bits and pieces, like the stereo. I mean, I I would potentially plug it into like a like a speaker system, TV more than a stereo. But mm. like holy water in the bath, all that other stuff, that kind of still works. Yeah, I don't have any yeah. huge game change in like set piece ideas. Uh, uh, that all the... kind of works for me. I I feel like the vampire traps. I mean, you know, you could like update them and like you know make them a little more. Um... You can use augmented reality. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something you could do, but like, I'm not, uh, I'm not directing this movie, so I don't have to. Uh, well, okay. So the one thing that I would add in is they had a bunch of super soakers filled with holy water. And I still think um, that's fun. But I think that what you can do now is especially because grandpa's clearly super into like camping and like hunting and like uh, outdoorsmanship of like, sometimes the thing you really, really need is a really good solar light. And so they have all their, like, flashlights and things, like, charged up. And so all of a sudden they have this dark house and the vampires come in and they hit them with the, with with these, like, really high-powered UV lights. Right. That's good. That's really good. That's real good. That's your modernization of it. You play Solar Power by Lord. Yeah. Oh, man. But then when Max finally happens, because he was invited in, that stuff doesn't affect him because he was invited into the home. And all the rest of them are invaders. Yeah, they they shine the UV light, and then that's how they they push them back into the bathtubs with the holy oh, water. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, they yeah. stumble backwards out of the UV and into the holy water, and it's just like holy water, UV light, holy water, UV light. Yeah, <laughs> there's just no escape. Or and, and like you can even lean on the fact of like the mirrors don't work on them, but like you can shine into the mirror, and the mirror reflects it onto the person, and that and they get you don't yeah. have a, like what are you gonna do? Hit me now? No, boom. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Bounces Absolutely. off the mirror and hits them. Nice. Good. good. Okay. Set pieces. So, Scott, you are going to be the decider for our castings. Um, okay. Because you don't have these. Uh, so I have a, I have a few. I have a few, but not any of the mains. Okay. Really. That's fair. Uh, I yeah. assume you have the adults. I have the adults, um, and I, I and I have a Frog Brothers and a and a Sam. But okay. I'm well, also we'll not. Go... It is what it is. Yeah. We'll go through it and see. Let, let's start with Michael then. Uh, okay. Nick, who did you have for Michael? Yeah, I'm still so proud of guessing Luca. That's so that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> my Michael that I, I had like a runner up that I had that I can bring up, but my the Michael that I settled on is played by 
Sholo Mariduena. Oh, that's he, good. So uh, he played a college graduate in Blue Beetle, and some people they kind of have like an unwritten like once you play past, you can't go back. You can't go back to play in a high schooler. Once you've played a non-high schooler, you know. I have a feeling it was strategic. <laughs> oh, for him. sure. He was like, yeah. "Look, I'm already playing college grads. You know, I'm not going to yeah. be Jenna Ortega." <laughs> so he's like, I think twenty. Five maybe, no. uh, like that. Is he older? No, he is. No, he's like twenty two. He's twenty two. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. He's so 22. he's my Michael. You know, we could still do like senior in high school. I actually, for it's been so long since I watched this movie, I thought Michael was like home from college or like a college dropout, and then, and then at mm. some point I'm like, no, they this would not be their relationship. It looked like you get the Diane Weiss could still ground Michael. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, yeah. so my, my, my thoughts are, okay, Michael Sr., maybe. How do you feel, Sam? Mm-hmm. No, I, I felt the same. I thought of Michael as being, like, 17 and uh, Sam as being, like, 11 or 12. I also like the idea of him being, like, just graduated from high school. Like, in that, Ooh, like, lull okay. of, like, where am I going? Like, am where I going to go to college? Am I going to, like, get a job? Like, what am I doing, you know? What am I doing moving across the country with my family if I'm just going to end up moving again to go to college? Right. And then you get the added thing of, like, he's hanging out with these people all the time. And his mom's like, I, I, I mean, don't you have other things that you need to be doing? Like, uh, you have your whole, whole life to be putting or, together. And he's also, like, little do like, you know, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I, all my friends were going to go to community college, and now I'm not a part of that community anymore. I don't know where I'm going to go to school because I can't right. afford, like, a school school. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. A school school is, is diminutive. I can't afford to go to a, a non-community college. Right. So – or. Or worse, like he, she had plans, and they with the divorce, right. like he just doesn't uh, get to go to college now, and it's and fair. it's because of the divorce. So he actually holds a grudge a little yeah, bit. Yeah, also fair. Yeah, um, all of that works. Uh, so yeah. my Michael, he was in Daybreak, so he's kind of done like vampire stuff before, but he was also in like Atlanta and is a little bit more known from Booksmart. It's an actor named Austin Crute. Who are they in Booksmart? The gay theater kid. Oh, okay. I tried very hard to cast queer people for that whole group. I mean, I only cast Michael, David, and Star, like just in case we didn't combine them. I cast but, like, everybody. Mm. Well, you're gonna have you're gonna have people, but like I, so for me, Austin Crude is a queer actor. My David's a queer actor. My Star is a queer actor, and like that was important to me because I knew that that was something that we were gonna that was gonna be important to us. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And the, the I, I did not do that for the younger kids because I don't want to assign something to kids that are still trying to figure it out themselves. But like, whatever. Uh, that that was something that I tried to do. So that was where I landed for Michael. Okay, I'm not. Um, I I I am not making. I'm not revealing any choices until we get to the end and I read the whole thing out. So can I casting. can oh, I offer okay. my yeah. runner up Michael just for the sake of having a just for the sake of having an sure. out there. So sure. for a while. My Michael was Caleb McLaughlin, a.k.a. Lucas from Stranger Things, because I just for my for Jolo and Caleb McLaughlin, I was like, who do I want to see go on a journey of like and, you know, like who's likable? I thought about Lucas when he was trying to get all the the basketball kids to like him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were like, oh, Lucas, no, these aren't your friends. You know, your friends. (laughs) These kids don't get how awesome you are. And so I'm like, oh, maybe like Caleb McLaughlin would be good. And even though I think. He's like exactly the same age as Sholo Marty Duenya. Maybe he gets a Stranger Things thing to me where I just don't picture him being like a little kid and not like an adult man, which I think he is like in his early 20s. 
Um, I mean, he's one right. year younger than uh, uh, Sholo Maradona. Yeah, he's 21. Sholo's 22. Wow. wow. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. All right. David, Sam. So, for my David, I went with uh, a little, like, he is, I I don't know, five, six years older, but also very uh, a queer actor. We definitely know him from The Flash, where he was Wally West. He's also in Love, Simon. He's Keen in Lonsdale. What did you say their most, their most like, famous credit was? They were Wally West on the. He was Wally West. Okie dokie. Yeah, I bailed mm-hmm. on. I bailed at that point. So that's more yeah. Scott's territory. That's. I mean, uh, he's all. He's also great in uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's so interesting that he is so old. He looks like a child. Um, right. That's still. why I thought he'd be good. I mean, he's got, yeah. got that good vampire stuff in him. Yeah. Um, yeah he also funny. one of the things I thought was interesting is I was on his IMDb credits and he was a judge for a little bit on one of the um, drag race shows. Oh, OK. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what, what, who's your David? My David is Timothy Chalamet. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah. That's guns. a very different choice. Yeah. I was like movie star. Who's going to get butts in seats? Every teenager in America, what's going to get them like doing fan edits and it's sexy goth SoCal Timothy Chalamet vampire. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, so I'm kind of past like this is nothing against you or the guy as uh, Timothy Chalamet. It's like, have we ever seen him be like savage? Like we've seen him being like posh rude in little women but i can't think of him as being like uh, savage like it's because his teeth it's because you didn't watch the movie where he, he literally eats people <laughs> oh because that's you, a movie that happens i'm yes. not aware of this movie uh, what yeah, movie is this? This, there's a movie called bones and all it's actually very lost boys influenced or inspired not oh, fair enough uh but it's you sam you 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 can't watch it yeah uh, yeah fair. definitely not <laughs> okay cool uh but he yeah. plays a cannon. okay yeah oh well then there you go yeah yeah interesting okay well it, again, it's up to Scott. Yep. Who's who do we got next? And keep in mind, I like I have them combined. So like I have Star as well, but like mm-hmm. in my head, it, this this version of this character is just one of the other Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So who's your star, Nick? My star is uh, an actor named Havana Rose Liu, most recently seen in Booksmart. Oh, not Booksmart. Bottoms. And a movie that uh, we talked about on DGT, a Hulu movie where, like, this girl's on the run and she runs into a diner and there's a storm and one of the diners might be a killer. Right. She was the lead in that. She is she is very striking looking. She is a model and she just turned in one of my favorite comic performances in the past, like, decade in Bottoms. That's like an all time comedic cast movie. And she just can't. I have no idea who she was before watching bottoms and it was just like who the fuck is this and so uh i kind of pictured star being like yeah like that scene where michael's like who is that and she is kind of like uh, like the penny lane and almost famous like the one that kind of guide mm. michael into this world and mm. is also you know like someone that you michael's like i have to save her if we keep that the idea of like i don't it's very biker movie coded which i think is kind of a result of jill schumacher's age and generation but like mm-hmm. star, I get the feeling of like, hey, that's that's Dino's gal. You don't mess with Dino's gal, you know? Right, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Is that right, Sam? So my star is uh, a, non- a non-binary actor. They were, I think, probably most well known for their role in Pose. But they also had a role in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And they had a role in A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting. 
Uh, this is India Moore. I'm somewhat familiar with their work. I haven't seen a lot of that. I haven't seen a lot of, of a couple of the shows, but yeah, oh, so like this okay. So so th- this is interesting because you both you both adapted this character in an interesting way because you like Sam. You went with someone who has a very similar vibe to the star in the movie, like a big poofy hair, like just like. Mm-hmm. You know, very, and whereas like uh, Nick went with On like appearances a, vibe, but in personality not. Right, right. Um, appearances wise, like very similar. Like I'm looking at pictures of of India, and like I'm like, oh yeah, I could see, I could see them playing, you know, Jamie Gertz in a remake of something. <laughs> yeah, I have seen India more in the Escape Room sequel, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. <laughs> How'd they do? So Did I they make it out? Did they I, escape? I salute them. Uh, but, but they do star, I don't believe so, but they, the final girl in that movie is Taylor Russell, who was in Bones and All with Timothy Shimothy. Oh. Oh. So it's, <laughs> all, it's all connected. There we go. Wow. It's, a, it's a small town. It is a small town. It's a small town, <laughs> Santa Carla. I mean, they have a lovely roller coaster, but small town. All right, town. So, so Sam? Star. No, no, no. Oh, Sam I, I, is the next I, I, one that's doing. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sam. So I actually, I actually do have someone for Sam. Please. I this is just like the first person that came to my mind in terms of like who's like a who's like a Corey Haim type right now and I was like oh Jacob Tremblay um sure. so that's that's who I went with with Jacob Tremblay uh I I'm curious um who you guys came up with uh, though Room Dante yeah, or I mean, not Dante what's a little what's a little Scott, bastard's do, do you name? know how old Jacob Jacob Tremblay is yeah he's like 14 right he's he's, he's 16 16 yeah okay so but he but yeah. I mean he looks isn't Sam supposed to be younger? <laughs> I, I cast an 11 or 12-year-old. There's a very big difference between an 11 and 12-year-old and a 16-year-old. You cast an 11-year-old? Oh. I I mean, I think he's 12, my, my kid. Oh. How old oh, is he? How old is Sam supposed to be in the movie? I, I, I pictured, thought he was supposed like, to be 12. I pictured, like, high school freshman. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. I mean, I cast a 13-year-old, and I entered high school as a 13-year-old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, no, that's not true. I was 14. Jake, I was okay, 14, but, Jake, but, but 16 is... It, no one 16 years old is playing a 16-year-old in anything, ever. I, um, I, well, I think the difference is like when you go through your growth spurt. And mm. I think Jacob Tremblay has, and I think the character I cast has not. Okay, that's, I interesting. That's, I think, the difference. Well, I... All right. Well, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That, that's fine. Uh, um, okay, so uh, Nick, Sam, I think it's have... your turn to go. Oh, is it? Uh, okay, great. Who is your Sam? I, 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 like I said, I'm, I cast, so where I cast Austin Crew, which is uh, a black performer, I cast a white kid because, I was, again, I was trying to do the, the, the adopted family kind of thing. So this kid is in Cocaine Bear. I think he's most well-known for Sweet Tooth. Uh, I most recently, like, literally the last episode of One Piece, I was like, oh, he's that kid. Uh, he plays young Sanji in One Piece. Uh, his name is Christian Convery. Oh, is he the he's little the- boy that does cocaine in Cocaine Bear? The, the little best friend? I haven't seen Cocaine Bear. That makes um, sense. But in Sweet Tooth, he's the kid with the antlers. Okay. That's Scott watched that. I didn't watch that. Well, I watched I watched like half of the first season. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. He's really good in One Piece. Interesting. I haven't gotten to him yet in One Piece. I have two episodes left. I'm on the Nami episode. I also only have two episodes left. Wow. I'm trying to see what he looks like right now. He's young Sanji. He's he, the kid oh, who's young on the rocks. Stuck on the rock. Yeah, he was on the great. rock with the... Uh, right? Okay. So, Scott, you had Jacob Tremblay. Sam had young Sanji. Um, <laughs> well, oh, oh, yeah. Who did you have? Uh, my So, 
with the Sholomari Duenya Michael, mm-hmm. uh, the sibling that I cast for Sam is Sochi Gomez from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as America Chavez. And Sam may remember I tried casting her last time I was on the show as Rocky the Red Ranger in the Power Rangers movie. I mean, you also try, you also cast Sholomari Duenya as well. I think we ended up going with Sholo for Yeah, Rocky. that's true. I hadn't seen Blue Beetle yet. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. I, 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 I'll trust you, buddy. Yeah. And you were right. Because <laughs> now I have. And the movie's great. So I was thinking of, like, like Sam in the comic book store. Like, hey, whatever. You know, kind of a snot-nosed kid. And I could just see Sochi Gomez kind of filling that, like, teenager kind of punk, but kind of a dork energy. I've only seen – the only performance I've seen from her is Doctor Strange. But kind of, like – I follow a lot of, like, fashion pop culture Instagrams and some of them be like, here's Sochi Gomez at this thing. And she always kind of has like a more punkish energy than I think America Chavez had. I think that's mm-hmm. fair. But I guess it's worth bringing up since we've been talking about like age and like teens and preteens and that kind of like being a tween or whatever. I did have a backup. So keeping in mind Caleb McLaughlin playing Michael, mm-hmm. um, my Sam was an actor whom I actually haven't seen in a live action performance yet, but it's mm-hmm. an actor. I believe their name is Micah Abbey who was the voice of Donatello in Mutant Mayhem. You son of a bitch. I cast him as one of the Frog Brothers. Whoa, that's crazy! (laughs) I cast him as one of the Frog Brothers, and then earlier when we were talking about Corey Feldman, I started laughing to myself because I realized I recast Donatello with Donatello. That's Um, that's very funny. um, Yeah. So, so yeah. So, but I... I was kind of thinking more like the the version of this movie you'd see in a mall, like the Fright Night remake. I think it's Sochi Gomez, who I think is like still a teenager. I don't think she because we talked yeah, about this in Power Rangers. 17. Sam. Yeah, she's seventeen. She, she's seventeen. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of like you know uh, Micah Abby is like my safety, but primary uh, Sochi Gomez as Sam. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we should have like, just done this together because <laughs> like also I had a little sister so it was kind of like a little sister watching her older brother go through this crazy thing that was kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for sure for sure yeah. Yeah, I also have a little sister okay well speaking of uh, the the froggers okay do we have <laughs> do we have do we have frog I have frog siblings I also have frog siblings I I went with Micah Abbey and <laughs> Priya Ferguson Prior Ferguson from Stranger Things plays uh, the sister. Um, oh, cool. America. Yeah. Oh, Amer- is Erica. That her name? America. Erica rhymes with America. That's what I remember. Oh, yeah. Erica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Erica from Stranger Things. And then and then Micah Abbey from Ninja Turtles as the the frog siblings. That's my that's, that's my great. pair. That's awesome. That's chaotic. That's really fun. Yeah, yeah, Nick, yeah I know. That's, that's what I liked about it. Is like, like they have a lot of energy. These like, two <laughs> like, Erica, together, that would be nuts. <laughs> but like, she's such a little like cool girl, you know, like almost like Lucy and Peanuts. Erica, uh-huh. things to see her yeah. being like a weird little mall rat comic book for fan. I don't know what that for looks sure. Like, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Nick, who are your froggers? My frog brothers are two young actors that I've I've been uh, become really big fans of them. The first one is Elsie Fisher who uh, fans might remember (laughs) from eighth grade back in 2018. They have uh, established a really strong, like character actor career. They were on that Stephen King show where they played the daughter of the lady from misery. They had a really memorable supporting turn in Barry uh, in season three of Barry. They're in the Texas chainsaw remake. They are currently in the summer. I turned pretty, which I haven't seen. Mm. 
where that character is non-binary. What I learned while researching Elsie Fisher is they have yet to current like go on public in a magazine or on Twitter or whatever and say like I'm this. This is what kind of thing I am. I'm a this. <laughs> and so yeah. it's been like gathered through like friends and people that they've worked with that they use they them pronouns, but they have not identified any kind of way, you know. So just honoring that, but you know, I've I've gathered that they use they them pronouns. Yeah. Um, okay. The other frog brother that I've cast. Alan. They were also just in My Best Friend's Exorcist. Yes. Last yeah. Last year. We were talking yeah. about that on DGT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've kind of, I know, like, I mean, eighth grade is by far their most iconic performance so far, but their look now is just, I own a comic book store. <laughs> and yeah. I, I am a shit poster with a private Twitter and <laughs> with, like, the weirdest, darkest sense of humor. And. <laughs> I've never seen them play a character like that yet. That kind of like they, they created evil Paddington on Twitter and like, <laughs> okay, that went viral. And so it's like that kind of vibe. Um, so the other frog, Alan is uh, an actor who I just was introduced to this summer. Uh, Zoe Tarakas from a uh, horror movie sensation. Talk to me. Oh. So Zoe Tarakas, on the other hand, has been publicly like I am non-binary. I, that is how I identify, and I will talk about that in interviews about being a non-binary actor. And so, without even thinking about it, because I was just like, "Oh, that person, that person," and then in researching them, I was like, "Oh, that's such an interesting like two different avenue, two different ways that young kind of Gen Z celebrities are navigating being a public person." Yeah, of one person. I also in the version like, where you guys where you guys were talking about them like doing TikToks at their hideout yeah mm-hmm. the idea that the frog brothers also have like a TikTok that they do together about hunting vampires yeah. is like also a really fun angle and um, uh, that's yeah and my kind of background with the frog brothers cuz one thought i had watching the movie with, with with Corey Feldman is like they should not be owning a comic book store they're they're teenagers. And so yeah. I like the idea that Alan Frog and Edgar Frog are almost kind of like fake names they've had to come up with. Uh-huh. Like they've moved from town to town a couple times at this point. And this is just like, we're brothers, okay? That's very silly. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that. You're... I just, they, they've got a good, like, look together, too. Like, I'm picturing yeah. them standing next to each other, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're very fun. Uh, your your Alan Frog is uh, older than your Michael, but other than that, uh, but, you know, all right. It, it Sam- bothers me just because the the nature of the movie is we have the kids and the like. I didn't cast them as the same age. I cast them as the older teen and the younger teen. And so, like for me, it, that that was a very distinct law. Okay. Like one, some of them look like adults and can be played by adults. And I was very specific in my casting that I like tried very hard to get kids. Who are your frogs? Uh, my my frogs are. Uh, this, uh, the first, my Edgar Frog has been in Sesame Street. He was in like SVU. I think he's more well known for Cha-Cha Real Smooth. It's an, a young actor named Colton Osario. Okay. Scott, have you seen Cha-Cha Real Smooth yet? I have not. You're going to love it when you do. It's really good. Oh. And then as long as we're talking about Fishers, my Alan Frog is Ooh. the young girl in Blonde. She also was in General Hospital. She's Life of Beth. Uh, if you just got to the Nami episode, she's young Nami. Uh, wow. Her name is Lily. Fi- her name is Lily Fisher. Oh no, was she young Marilyn Monroe and blonde? Yeah, that was an abominable movie. I haven't seen it, but like, okay. she's good enough to get the role, I guess. Yeah, I'm glad she's staying booked and busy. Mm-hmm. That's that's 
Yeah, so it's I, just like good enough to get that role, but like more importantly, like I did not watch that movie. Sure, sure, sure. That is a uh, that is not a movie that should be celebrated. It's, it's one of those things where it's like celebrate the performance, but shut up. Oh the yeah, I mean she was something. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so Colton Osario, Lily Fisher. Lily Fisher's actually even younger, but it's just like it's like again another siblings and young kids to kind of be young kids to match with my uh, Christian uh, convery because again very distinct younger sibling to the older siblings. The older sibling is going off and living a life that the younger sibling isn't yet at a point where they completely understand. And that was important to me simply because like, that's, that's the nature, that's the nature of the movie as we're presented. And it's kids who are just on the cusp of kind of starting to figure out who they are and kind of the things that they're into, um, as opposed to, they know who they are, they know what they're into, and now they're starting to experiment with that sort of thing. Nice. That, that's who I had for the frogs. In terms of people I have left, it's I have Lucy, Grandpa, and Max. Yeah. I have Lucy. I have Grandpa. I have Marco, Alex Winter's character. And then the the vampire that dies in a bathtub, Paul. And the vampire that does death by stereo, Dwayne. And, well, I, have here, getting, and I have a Max. Let, let, honestly, okay. we, but, we can get your Alex Winters, your bathtub, and yeah. your stereo sure. all right now. Because okay, yeah. we're just going to get those. Yeah, let's get, get, let's get your other vamps. So, as the character Marco. Other ar- than Max. Arguably the kind of most iconic one just because it's Alex Winter. And it's like, oh my god, it's fucking, it's Bill. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, for him, I had maybe kind of weirdly the biggest name in the movie so far, uh, Troy Savon. Troy Sevian, I've also is. pronounced. He is a uh, was a YouTuber back in the tens, but has since become a really big like Australian pop star. Been in a few mm-hmm. movies. Uh, most recently, he was in The Idol, where he was one of the more memorable parts of that. He's like a huge pop star, and honestly, you know, like, I wasn't getting like the gay, like the queer subtext in this when I was recording, but he's also been like just a huge kind of like I don't know, just like his videos are all very like. I think Joel Schumacher would be a fan of Troye Sivan's like visual aesthetics. You know what I mean? Mm. Just kind of mm-hmm. that same kind of like cool, hyper real, hyper sexy kind of Tony Scott. But he's a really good actor, and he's kind of ageless. I think he—I know he's like in his twenties. Uh, so twenty-eight. That's twenty-eight. So that's Marco yeah. Troye Sivan. Uh, for okay. pa- Paul, the one who dies in a bathtub, mm-hmm. uh, cast another sort of actor, model, skateboarder, Evan Mock. Who uh, I fell in love with in the Gossip Girl remake on Max, the one to watch for HBO. He has this kind of like he was a film nerd, kind of soft spoken, like by skater kid that was always kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't I've never kissed a boy. I don't know how nothing works. But like he's so striking. I was like, oh, it'd be cool to cast him as like a really aggressive, like comfortable, confident, sexy vampire because he still has that like look but mm. kind of more of like a bad get bad boy performance from this young actor. And finally, Dwayne, Death by Stereo Vampire. He had kind of a mullet, kind of a cool 80s mullet, and had like a, <laughs> a strong jaw, you know, almost rivaling, rivaling Michael's. So mm. I cast an actor with a similar look by the name of Joey Howard King, who played Prince Eric in the live-action Little Mermaid. And I just think he has good vibes, but also, you know, he played Prince Eric, super wholesome, super like romance cover. So I want him in leather and eye makeup playing like gross, shady, like beach vampire. Sometimes every time he poses, like you can like the wind picks up and carries his hair a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Good. 
I like it. So yeah, those are my three hench vamps. All right. Good. That's good. So then we should probably talk about uh, Lucy, the mom, next. Lucy, yeah. Did so you have a Lucy? I cast... Please. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, 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 again, I just went on like first instinct vibes. Oh, cool. In terms of like what I'd want to see, and I went with Marissa Tomei. Great. Just because, like, one, you know, I got to get my Italian representation in here somewhere, <laughs> and and B, I just like. I like her as like the the you know mom who's been divorced. I like that she's a little older, and I like that like, especially because of who I cast as Max. But I like that she's a little older, and so you know she just has. I feel like she can she can channel that Diane uh, Weiss kind of vibe for sure. Yeah, I went with Marissa Tomei. Yeah, fair. What about you, Sam? So uh, I I went with look though not uh, demeanor again. And I actually, for the remaining three, this is where I put my A-listers. Mm. So I was thinking someone who would be a good mom to, uh, to, to a couple of kids who uh, just doesn't really want to put up with any of her shit. But, you know, good old Molly Ringwald. Ooh. Archie's mom. Yeah. Okay. And that's what she's known for best. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not old. <laughs> <laughs> Like the audience we're supposed to be making this movie for, Sam. <laughs> Nick? My mom, my Lucy Emerson is Zoe Saldana. Oh, I, oh that's interesting. Because I think would be really cool. What I like about the mom in this Diane Weiss's performance is she's so sunshine and innocence. And like mm-hmm. you almost kind of buy, you get the sense that Michael and Sam are protective of her in a way. But then also immediately in those moments where she's like chastising Michael or, you know, or, you know, be like, Sam, you ruined my date. I fucking needed this buddy. You, re- you see her strength. And yeah. it reminded me a lot of like, my mom is also kind of like ray of sunshine. And I'm like, Oh, I have to protect her. But then it's like, Oh my God, how dare I think for a second that, you know, she needs protection because she has this like unassuming. And with Zoe Saldana, you're like, you know, that strength because she's Gamora. She's mm-hmm. avatar. She's a Hura. <laughs> She's she's the title character avatar. She's, yeah, the, the, yeah, Detective John Avatar. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but look, none of us yeah. know any of their names. No, uh, Nateri, Sam. That joke's eleven years old. Uh, and I and so, but like the innocence. So I can't think of her playing like a sweet character, like Ray of Sunshine. So it's almost like the strength is assumed because it's Zoe Saldana. But then also you get to see right. her kind of play like more of a bright character. Yeah, you're like typing. I mean, that is a good way to guarantee this movie makes a billion dollars. Sure, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's yeah, point. you're like casting against type in like a really interesting way. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. Okay, so we doing Grandpa next or Max next? I feel like we got to end with Grandpa. Okay, so Max. Max. <laughs> yeah, Nick, who's your Max? Uh, my Max is Sam Richardson from Murder Mystery and yeah. a bunch of a bunch just a, a stupid amount of stuff over the past few years. Um. I just think he's like adorable in that kind of like pre Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis way where very unassuming, very unassuming. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm just a door. I'm on a video store, but also he's cute. So you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, get it. Zoe Saldana. But then like, it's fun. He's like the last dude you would expect to be like the head vampire. And right. But he played that asshole African king in guy Ted Lasso, or whatever right, yeah. in Ted Lasso. So like, you know that he's capable of being a total asshole also. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's For good. Sure. I like that. Yeah, Sam? I kind of also went with someone who's like, I try to think of the actor who at 
just on the face of it, I don't think any of us would ever suspect of wrongdoing ever. Mm. I think we just all just assume this guy's just the nicest person ever, just a great guy. He all, like he just seems like a genuinely decent dude. And now it'd be so heartbreaking when it turns out that Mark Ruffalo wants to kill us all. Oh, oh that's good. Yeah, that's so interesting. I yeah, that would be I I would I would want to see that just because I want to see Mark Ruffalo like play like a villain. I don't think Yeah. Has that ever I, I, happened? That's exactly it. I don't know. Yeah. He's too like weird. Interesting. He's kind of an I asshole also, in uh The Kids Are All Right, but a very like believable mm-hmm. one. Yeah. I he's mean, more he's like an a, ass, he's an asshole in Spotlight too, but he's an asshole who gets results. Yeah, <laughs> in 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 the other one he's like he's an he's like more of a scumbag than an than an That's asshole, true. I That's would say. True. Yeah. So I I I again because my my Lucy was Marissa Tomei, I went with a little bit of an older actor for um my Max, but I was like who is the guy that I would never in a million years believe would be the head vampire and it would be uh it would be everybody's favorite dad. Sandy Cohen, so I went with Peter Gallagher. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> that is yeah. that is an on-brand casting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also suave, capable of being like you know heartthrob. Yeah, yeah. All right, that brings us to Grandpa. Mine is almost my mine is. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It's Mark Hamill, just because I find. Oh, that's yeah, good. I find the idea of Mark Hamill playing like a like a curmudgeonly grandpa uh. really funny. Yeah. I mean that's that's great casting. It's so great that I also have Mark Hamill playing grandpa. <laughs> that's so funny. Wow. Who well, else could possibly do it? <laughs> Nick? Who else uh, could possibly yeah. do it? <laughs> my my grandpa is an actor named Edward Lee Gibson. Oh, uh, you had such an opportunity. Has he do the funniest <laughs> thing, yeah. He is a phenomenal uh, legendary stage actor, but a lot of audiences, including me, first fell in love with him through his performance in The Bear. Oh, yeah, man. As uh, one of the cooks who's just having a little bit of a hard time adjusting to the rapid changes going on at the restaurant. Yeah, he's really good on that show. All right. Well, that takes us to like writer and director. Do you guys have hyphenates? Do you have separate writers, directors? What's the deal? I have separate. And I actually had them flipped and I was like, no, that doesn't work. And I switched them from... One was my writer, one was my director, and I said, no, that doesn't work, and I flipped him to writer Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they both are writer-directors, but I think my writer <clears throat> works better as the writer, and my director works better as the director. What about you, Nick? Do you have a hyphenate or a separate? Uh, mine are separate as well. Okay, cool. I I will, I mean, uh, Nick Nick guessed Luca. Um, I yeah. also had a backup, um, which is a writer-director, Jane uh, Schoenbrunn who directed We're All Going to the World's Fair. Ooh. Yeah. Jane, Jane is a, uh, a, a trans uh, filmmaker. And, uh, and yeah, she made this, like, really creepy, like, uh, sort of found footage kind of movie. It's not really found footage, but it's, like, found footage adjacent. Mm-hmm. And uh, really creepy. Uh, Nick and I both really liked it. And I think that she would do something really interesting with this. Cool. But that's just my backup kind of idea but i'm very curious about what you guys have um so let's start with writer and we'll start with sam who is your writer i went with the writer who uh i realized that a lot of my cast were uh black kids and so i kind of wanted to lean into that so i went with the writer behind creed 2 and they cloned tyrone uh it's a writer named jewel taylor so like he like one of those writers who's kind of like on the rise although he did creed 2 which is you know pretty big so hard hard to argue that he's on the rise but <laughs> his his most recent success is they cloned tyrone which mm-hmm. 
is supposed to be very good. And then he also did Creed 2, which I know you both are fans of. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Nick, who do you have as writer? Well, Sam, it's funny that you, I didn't plan this, but it's funny that you've been really trying to find like cool set pieces in this Lost Boys remake, because I think horror action set pieces have actually become something of a specialty for this writer. My co-screenwriter for the Lost Boys remake is Akilah Cooper. Writer, oh, yeah. Writer oh, of okay. Megan, the, the Nun 2, Malignant, just one of the most exciting horror writers coming up in the past few years. And she's just so great at writing like character focused, but fun, like horror set pieces. Yeah. Also, if you've ever heard an interview with her, she is she has the biggest bundle of energy. Like it just sounds like it just sounds yeah. like she has been holding back her entire life and finally people are like now you can talk about writing and she's like oh my god yes and then just <laughs> it's it's so amazing like hearing her do interviews and stuff she's the best uh, i've also heard interviews with her she's delightful yeah okay director nick who's your director so my director and co-writer are actually a team whose work i just recently became aware of but they've been working for a long time <clears throat> their names are danny and michael Philippou, aka raka raka directors of talk to me oh so talk to me is probably the horror movie of the year it's been winning rave reviews people have been freaking out it's the box office sleeper hit of the summer i've been talking about this all month long on dgt but i famously was not super scared by talk to me but it is a movie that was impeccably directed and captured the crazy anarchic like chaotic sense of youth doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and fucking with things they shouldn't be fucking with that i think they could do really fun stuff with this yeah fun okay cool yeah that's that's a really good choice uh sam who's your director i also wanted to lean into the horror movie of the moment and uh the horror movie of the moment is on hulu and it's called no one will save you Mm. and this is a director who also did love and monsters and he did spontaneous which also kind of like fit the vibes of like young people figuring out the crazy situation that's going on and that's a director named brian duffield who is also a writer but yeah so like in my initial thing i was like oh brian duffield because he did these three things uh and then jewel taylor to direct i was like no i want to capture like the the experience in the writing and then because i want brian duffield to do like the monstrous and the actual set pieces and so because he's a good director of like crazy monsters and like and and wacky things like not wacky uh ominous and uh, terrifying things that are happening i thought brian duffield worked better as director and jewel taylor worked better as my writer okay all right all right that's everything for extra credit (laughs) i do have a couple of other i have a score oh Please. Well, I've already kind of set it up, but uh, I want score. I want churches to do the whole score for the movie. Oh, Great. I love that. Like original oh, songs <laughs> kind of have that 80s synth kind of thing. Yeah, um, hell yeah. And uh, I didn't know this, but the Lost Boys, the original one, I don't have their name in front of me, but it is the same DP as Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. <laughs> Oh, wild. Because I was like, it looks, looks so great. Who shot this? And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, the director, the, uh, Michael Chapman is the director of photographer. Oh, yeah. Ah. Wow. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, it'd be funny if the, uh, if like this movie. Roger also, Deakins. <laughs> yeah. Also had like a stupidly overqualified cinematographer for this Lost Boys remake. And so uh, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to get uh, Dan Lauston, who recently shot movies like 
the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Crimson, he, oh, he's, he's Guillermo del Toro's DP. He shot Crimson Peak, Shape of Water, uh, all the John Wick sequels, Nightmare Alley. Damn. Wow. I like so, that. That's great. So, yeah, that's cool. my pull. That's Very awesome. cool. Good pulls. Okay. So. A lot of options, am, Scott. Yes, I am. I am putting together my picks right now. The Lost Boys, spelled B-O-I-S. <laughs> so. In all roles, Marissa Tomei. <laughs> we have uh, The Lost Boys. And in the role of Michael, I have cast Austin Crute. In the role of David, I've cast Timothy Chalamet. Now, the reason for this is because, so in terms of like Michael vibes, like if I'm like looking at the movie and I'm like one to one with Michael, I, I was leaning more Caleb McLaughlin, but I loved the idea of Timothy Chalamet as like goth David so much. I was like, Timothy Chalamet and Caleb McLaughlin, like, I, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Like, this, they're, they're like two. I don't know. I don't know. But so I, I went with Austin Crute for Michael because I just felt like there's a little more like visual chemistry there to me. For Star, I went with I went with India Moore. Uh, for Sam Emerson, I went with Micah Abbey. For the Frog uh, Brothers, I went with Elsie Fisher and Zoe Tarakis. For Marco, we have uh, Troy Savon, Paul, Evan Mock, Dwayne, Jonah Howard King. For Lucy, yes, I did go with Marissa Tomei and Peter Gallagher for Max. <laughs> and and Max, Max, uh, uh, you know, for Grandpa, we went with Mark Hamill because it was, I mean, it was two against one. Sorry, Nick. Yeah. yeah uh, sorry. And, uh, and for writer, I switched things up. I put together a pair. And so my writer for this is Akela Cooper and Brian Duffield. As the screenwriters and the directors are the directors of Talk to Me, Danny and Michael Philippou. So there you go. That's cool. that's uh, our that that's our Lost Boys. That's Nick, our Lost Scott, Boys. Scott, are you going to go see this movie? I would. Hell yes, I would. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, there we go. That's our Lost Boys. Good job, yeah, everybody. So, thank you both for uh, being guests on uh, my podcast again. So. Now's the time. If there's anything you want to promote, you want to tell people about franchiseography and where you'll be mid-October, now's the time to tell them about it. Yeah, I believe by October we will be in the middle of our Mummy franchise Mm -hmm. coverage. It was the winner of the 2023 Listener's Pick Tournament, so you better listen to it because it's your fault. (laughs) And uh, we've had a heck of a time. We had a heck of a time talking about these, wouldn't you say, Scott? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was fun. What we talked about, it, yeah, it was like you said on the on the show. It like ended up being sort of like a like a platonic ideal franchiseography season because it's so complicated with like weird behind the like everything that can go wrong goes wrong with that franchise, and they do like every iteration of like what a franchise does in terms of like. <laughs> It is a reboot of itself. They make a they make a, a, a sequel that was a mistake. They try to correct the mistake and then they reboot it again. So it's just like it, it very much tells the story of, of a franchise in the way that we like to tell it. So it really worked out. So, yeah, good. It's, a, it's a good mini series. I think I think everybody will really like it. Franchiseography, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Do you have social medias you want people to follow? No, we don't use them. At least not for that. Um, so, yeah, I meant personally. Oh, yeah. Do you have a social media you want people to follow, Nick? You don't really uh, post on social media, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Instagram, at Nick M. Jimenez. Yeah. Twitter, at Nick M. Jimenez. Hopefully, it's still free to use by the time you're listening to this. But, yeah, that, that, that's about it these days. 
Yeah, cool. I'm just got Corelli on everything, but I don't use X anymore. And uh, I occasionally I'm on Instagram. I don't post a lot because I just by default I'm just like nobody cares what I have to say. Uh, <laughs> so it's yeah. a podcaster for. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, exactly. Every, I do enough that, sharing on podcasts. I was um, saying, everything are, that you feel like you yeah. want people to see or hear what you have to say, you do that on Discord, which yes. everyone should join. It is the Dueling Genre Discord. Yeah, yeah that's the best. That's, the that's where you can find us. In the show notes of this very episode. If you are a social media type person, I also don't post all that often. But if you're on Blue Sky, so am I. Uh, I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H on Blue Sky. Or you can follow the podcast on Instagram, Ideal Remake, spelled like the thing that's in front of you, or that you're listening to, I guess. I suppose you're not looking at your phone while listening to this, but if you are, good for you. I support you. Um, And yeah, uh, the best thing you can do for Franchiseography, the best thing you can do for Ideal Remakes is to go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. They really help. It's been a little while since I've gotten a review, and I would like more, and that would be nice. Uh, so yeah, we will end this episode the same way we end all episodes. Nick, Scott, what is your favorite quote from the movie, The Lost Boys? Uh, I think I gotta go with Death by Stereo. <laughs> That's your favorite quote? That's the whole line. Death by Stereo. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's all right, true. Scott, are you gonna say the line that you know we need to end on? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, let me, I wanna get the exact line. One thing about living in Santa Carla, I can never stomach all the damn vampires. <laughs>